What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Hostile Q&A, and it's been a while since I've done one of these. So, you know, we used to do these all the time, the, just me by myself answering some questions, and then I kind of got away from it and do, did more of the podcast stuff. But uh, we've decided to start doing them again. And again, I want to preface this all with, I'm not a scientist or a guru. The answers you guys are going to get are from me and my personal experiences as a bodybuilder throughout my own career, what worked for me and what helped me get to the top of the bodybuilding world. Um, and I know I noticed some of these are supplement uh, questions as well. So obviously through my experiences with Hostile and owning the company, I can answer those questions as well. But uh, this is all just personal stuff. I'm not claiming to be an expert at all. So you guys are just asking me what kind of got me through it. And that's what I'm going to help you guys with. So uh, without further ado, um, I'm going to get started. We have like 100 questions here. And since it's not a podcast format, I can kind of burn through them and try and get through as many as possible. I'm going to try and do an hour worth of questions um, and we'll see what we can do. So let's get on to it. First question, what do you guys look for in sponsoring an athlete? Well, we just brought up, we just brought on quite a few athletes. Um, I like looking for the younger guys that are hungry, number one. Um, I like looking for people that aren't already sponsored. I like looking for people that look like they train really hard. Uh, physique matters to me. I, I care if they have potential in the sport. Um, their following matters to me. It doesn't have to be huge, uh, but I, I have to see that there is some potential in their posting. They post every day. They post every couple hours or whatever. They post at least every other day or every third day. Um, they're interactive with, or interactive with their fans that, that post on their posts. And they're not just kind of posting things and ignoring everybody who comments. Uh, those things matter. All of those things matter. There's so many boxes to check uh, to, to become an athlete. And that also depends on what that person expects. I mean, if you have somebody who's never had a contract, doesn't have a pro card, doesn't have a big following, but they want to get paid $1,000 a month, it's probably not going to work out, right? So expectations have to be reasonable. Um, potential has to be there. Social media work ethic has to be there work ethic in the gym has to be there all of these boxes have to be checked off um before i feel like I, I think one of the biggest things for me too though is hostile as a brand is known as a hard-working bodybuilders type brand and whether you're in classic men's physique or bodybuilding or you're in the women's side of things i like people more who kind of show that work ethic in their in their social media you can kind of see it in their social media profiles and uh, that's that's also a main component that we look for uh for a first time buyer of hostile what would you say are the top three to five products and why well we only have five products currently so they're all awesome and you should buy all of them <laughs> no it's um the for a first time buyer i would say look it depends what you want depends what your needs are some people feel like they need protein more than anything else because they can't get in their daily requirement with whole food. And some people feel like they need a pre-workout because they need something to get them focused in the gym. Some people feel like they need a pump product because they need to, they're focused on getting that maximum pump while they're training. So it is all based on what's most important to you right now, because we only have five products. I personally started with the first five products that I deem most essential for me. For me as a bodybuilder, I want to have a good pre-workout. I want to have a good pump product. I need to have a protein because there's some, some days I just don't feel like eating. Um, 
you know, if I, if I don't feel like having a meal, I'm not going to not eat. I'd rather just have a shake um, or post-workout. I want to have that shake. I need to have my EAAs. I need to have an intra-workout. These are all products that I fucking, that I deem necessary. So it really, if you're going to pick between those five, it depends on what your goals are and what's most important to you. I saw a post where Hunter Labrada was 280 grams of protein in his diet from whey isolate. I always heard that the preferred way to take intake protein should be whole food. Can whey replace upwards of 50% of my protein intake and still get gains, assuming training's on point? So I'm not going to get into scientific studies of whether you can or can't because that's not my forte, but I would say through my own experiences that it is not a good idea to get the bulk of your protein or half your protein from protein shakes. And this is com coming from someone who owns a supplement company. So trust me, I want you to buy more protein, but I just don't think it's advisable if you're going to make real gains to get 50% of your protein from uh, protein shakes. And I would, I would venture to say, cause I know Hunter um, that that 280 grams of protein in his diet is not just from whey isolate. There must be some type of misunderstanding there, or he's getting in a ton of protein and he's actually just adding more through shakes. But I, it just it really doesn't sound 100% right to me because that would mean uh, he's having three shakes a day at like 90 grams each, or you know four shakes a day at whatever uh, 70 grams each, and I just don't don't see that being possible. So I would re ask him that question and see if that's true. But even if it is. I wouldn't compare myself to Hunter Labrada. Hunter Labrada is a freak. And I wouldn't, if I was starting out, I wouldn't compare myself to any pro bodybuilder because if you're, if you are a pro bodybuilder, you probably have better genetics than other people for building muscle. And we might be able to get away with things that the average person can't. So I would not suggest to somebody to get 50% of their protein from uh, whey isolate shakes or any other type of shake. I, I always suggest to get as much whole food as you can. And if you're going to use a protein shake, uh, strategically, I would say post-workout is the best time for whey isolate for our whey, whey isolate. Since it's just a pure whey isolate post-workout is the best time. And the only other time I would suggest it is if, like I said, you can't get a meal in, you don't feel like eating. It's better than not eating at all. Um, Hey, Fu Adam, a big fan of the hostile subs and your podcast. I just want to ask. That is India on your map. Would you love, would love to get hostile subs here in India? So I'm just going to answer this as a whole for all markets. I would like hostile to eventually to be a worldwide mark, a worldwide supplement company. We want to hit all markets, India, Southeast Asia. Right now we're working on the UK. The thing is we're a small company. We're growing as we grow, we can add new markets, uh, it costs a lot of money to start a supplement company properly and to run a supplement company properly and to get into new markets properly. And you guys see a lot of companies start and fail and never really make it. And I think a lot of that is due to trying to move too quickly. So we're very calculated in how we do things. We will only get into a new market when we can provide it with everything it needs to have and do things properly. So that's why you see our company moving so slowly. We're trying, I'm trying to make sure we're here for the long haul right? This isn't like a quick, a, a get rich quick thing where I'm like, I'm in the game and I make a couple 
you know, a couple million dollars after a year or two. And then I bounce. It's not, it's not what I want to do. My goal is to be here for 10, 20, 30 years and grow the company into something really special. That's going to be here for the long haul. So that's why we're moving so slowly. And that's why we're going from region to region, uh, and in a, in a methodical way to do it properly and not just get a distributor somewhere and just send them a bunch of product and not worry about it. Uh, we actually want to launch our products in each of these places and, and do it right the first time. So India is on the map. Everywhere in the world is on the map and I want to get to everybody. Um, some governments have different regulations. So there's tricks to different areas and where we can get to and where we can't. Um, but eventually down the road, everybody will be part of the hostile family, hopefully. Where are the hostile headbands? I'm working on, we're working on a lot of new stuff. Headbands, actually, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't started working on them yet. Uh, but we're working on more clothing. I'm working on some accessories. And uh, we have some cool stuff coming out. Now, just remember, when I say those things, the beginning stages could take time. So it might be a month, might be two months. But we're working on some cool stuff that's going to be coming out. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into headbands too. Having a hard time growing my chest. I've tried different training methods with very little success. My presses are weak as well. Trying to get stronger as has led to injury in the past. Any advice on growing chest specifically? Um, I would start using bands. You can start using bands on the, on the bench press. You start using bands. Actually, when you dumbbell press as well, I think I have some uh, video of it on the hostile channel. Um, bands are a good way to increase tension on the chest without having to add a ton of weight. Um, and it actually will help you with your lockout strength. So it'll build strength through the range of motion by using bands. And that eventually will make it easier for you when you don't use the bands. So start trying to incorporate some bands into your workouts so that you can build some of that lockout strength and change the way the reps feel, actually creating more tension on the muscle. That's one thing. The second thing I would say is uh, more volume. So not necessarily in each workout, but maybe a second day. So I would have like a, you know, a chest day by itself. And then I would do another day where I have like chest and shoulders, but maybe do shoulders first. So the shoulders are exhausted and then you can get into chest after that. Now that, that chest day is not going to be heavy. It's going to be more of a pump workout, but the goal is if you've trained your shoulders first, they're kind of pre-exhausted, everything's tired. And then when you get in the chest, you're not going to be strong, but your chest is going to have to work a little harder because the shoulders are already taxed from the shoulder workout. Like I said, that would be a pump day, but you're going to have a full hard chest day as well. Um, you want to make sure it could be a form issue too. I would check out some videos on the hostile channel. We have a lot of different chest workouts. Um, you can see you might be doing something wrong. You might be caving in your chest when you train, you might be um, there might be a lot of different form things that might be able to help you. So that's one, but volume two, adding bands three, and maybe try adding some intensity techniques. That would be the third thing I would do, um, at the end of each exercise. So let's say you do four exercises for chest at the end of each exercise, the last set, I would do some type of intensity technique. So, you know, do sets one, two, three, four, when you get to four, I would say, okay, I'm going to. Uh, at set four, I would say, okay, I'm going to do a uh, drop set, a rest pause, a cluster set, something to really tax the muscle more. So you're actually not just getting more overall volume in sets, but you're actually getting more work during that set. So 
just one set at the end of each exercise, add one of those intensity techniques and really try and get a little bit more out of your chest. Don't focus all the time on strength. Strength is important, but if you're constantly focused on, you know, if you're benching, let's say you're benching uh, a one plate and you want to bench two plates. If you can barely bench two plates and you're doing it like three or four or five reps and they're not really good reps they're kind of shit reps, you're only hurting your own progress back off to a plate and a half and try and get really good form and build your strength. Don't force your strength. You know what I mean? Like sometimes, sometimes people say, well, I want to squat five plates. So I'm going to put five plates on the bar. And I'm going to squat, but their squat looks like shit. It's like, Oh, I went down two inches and went back up. Oh, I squatted five plates. That didn't do shit for you. Didn't build your legs. Didn't build, didn't build your strength. All it did was build your ego. Take two plates off, do three plates and get all the way into the hole and you'll see, okay, my legs are starting to grow. Oh, three is becoming easy. Now I can do three and a half, three and a half is becoming easy. Now I can do four. So don't try and force the lift, let your body get stronger and get there. Eventually that could be something you're doing also is people sometimes when they focus too much on strength uh, and trying to do a certain amount of weight, they lose um, the focus or the intent of the movement in the first place. Uh, I know last month you told us to stay tuned for the launch of the single ingredient supplements, joining the lineup, any word when they will be launched. Um, also, Ben was, Ben Chow was an amazing addition to the athlete lineup. I love watching Logan's cooking videos too. Thank you. I think our team is awesome. Uh, love Logan. Ben is like a brother. So it made a, it made sense to bring him on. Uh, and he has a lot to offer, uh, as well. So he'll be doing some of these videos with me as well for these Q and A's to offer his coaching perspective. Uh, as far as the supplement line, this is kind of what I was saying earlier. So sometimes my mouth gets ahead of me and I, I kind of say things that maybe I shouldn't yet. So we have a lot of things in the works, but the supplement business is not, you know, unless you have millions and millions of dollars to just throw at a project, it takes a little bit more time than normal. So we kind of might, we might've rearranged things a little bit because like I said, I, I launched products in accordance to what I think I need the most, because I'm thinking, I'm trying to think like a bodybuilder, not a business person. So I'm like, as a bodybuilder, I don't sit here and think what supplement is going to make the most money. Right. Cause I mean, we've already, we've already established that we don't do that because our formulas are so strong. We, you know, we're not making as the same amount of money as other companies because our formulas have so much in them. But um, the goal is not to just let's put out the product that's going to make the most money gimmick wise and get the most people to buy it. Let's put out the product that I need. That's kind of how we do things. So there's a little bit of a rearrangement because I wanted to do the basics line because I really felt like I wanted the basics for you guys, um, for people that want to add creatine or want to add uh, beta alanine or want to add like a single ingredient to our products to be able to do that. But when I took a step back and I thought to myself, what, well, what do I think is most important? It didn't really, the basics line wasn't really the most important thing to me because I feel like I love our products and I love how they're formulated. The only thing our, our lineup is not missing to me as far as like an essential is a vitamin line. So, and that's something, if you've been watching these Q and A's for a long time, or if you've been a fan of hostile for a long time, you know that, I've always wanted our own fully dosed multivitamin, multimineral. And I feel like as an essential item, you know, we have the protein, we have the pre-workouts, we have all that stuff that is essential for me as a bodybuilder. I, I like, I need them. 
as a bodybuilder, I also need to get my vitamins and minerals in to make sure I'm somewhat healthy. So we kind of might have rearranged the schedule a little bit. So I want to work on the vitamin stuff first. It's still going to be a few months down the line. Um, but uh, that's kind of the way we're headed right now. And the basics line will come after that. Um, is it okay for a tall person with an insanely fast metabolism to utilize multiple cheat days or should they just try and eat a shit ton of clean food? Um, you guys know how I feel about this. Okay. It's not, I don't have the, um, the common misconception in my opinion nowadays is that you can eat really, really clean and get huge. And that's just never been the case for me and I have yet to see anybody do it. Um, people point to James or, uh, you know, James has put on a ton of muscle. That's very, very true. But James put on the base of his muscle eating a ton of not clean food. You know, like, not that he was dirty bulking all the time, but James, you know, used to eat boxes of cereal and he used to eat this and he used to eat that. And it wasn't always a perfectly clean diet. And that's how he put on a ton of muscle. Now, could James have put on that same amount of muscle eating perfectly clean? We'll never know because he's already, you know, halfway into his career. Um, I have yet to see anybody get really, really big without implementing cheats, especially somebody that's a hard gainer. So what I would say is you don't want your diet to be complete shit. I don't think if you're a hard gainer, it means you can go to McDonald's every night. What I do think it means is you should be using some calorie dense foods. You know, like a lot of people will do chicken and rice. If you're a hard gainer, instead of doing chicken and rice, maybe you should do, you should be doing beef and pasta with some olive oil, with some pasta sauce. I still don't think that's bad. Yes, there's a little bit of sugar in the pasta sauce. And yes, there's fat in the beef. Uh, and yes, you're adding olive oil. But yes, you need it because you're a hard gainer. And you need stuff to move a little slower through your system. And I think that's what the fats do. And you need that calorie dense food. Like a bowl of pasta and ground beef is going to be far more calorie dense than a, a plate of chicken and rice. So you guys who are out there struggling to put on weight, you really need to rethink these things. And those of you who aren't, those of you who are bulking and you're just getting fatter and fatter, you're the ones that need to consider the cleaner diet, the, you know, not a mega calorie surplus to put on weight and all this stuff. You guys are the ones who need to monitor things a little bit more like myself. I kind of tend to gain fat pretty easily. If I start cheating every single night, I will get fat. So I leave my cheats to one or two a week, Wednesday night, Saturday night. Those are my cheats. Wednesday's usually a little bit cleaner cheat. Like I'll make my own burger, my own pasta, whatever a big, I'll have a big, huge bowl of pasta. I won't measure anything. I'll just eat whatever I want. Saturday night, I might do something shittier, some fast food or a pizza or something like that. But if you're a hard gainer, you might need that bowl of pasta every single day. You don't need the pizza every day. That could be a, you know, once a week thing, but you might need that you know, pasta and meat sauce every single night. You might need, you know, lasagna. You might need burgers. And I don't mean like McDonald's burgers. I mean like homemade. You might need to make your own homemade burgers. Get get the bun, eat the bun. It's like, it's not, people think, oh, I ate bread. That means I'm going to get fat. If you're a hard gainer, you might need that bread. Make your own potatoes. So get an air fryer, strip up potatoes, throw them in the air fryer with some olive oil. You can eat a pound of potatoes that way. And it's going to be really easy versus trying to bake it in a microwave or some shit. Learn to eat more calorie dense foods so that if you're a hard gainer, you're getting in these calories, but without eating all, it's not just shit calories from McDonald's or 
ice cream or whatever. You don't give yourself an excuse to not have a plan is what I'm trying to say. So if you're a hard gainer, it doesn't mean that you get to not have a plan and you get to eat whatever the fuck you want. If you're a hard gainer, it means I still need the same plan that the guy eating the chicken and rice has, but my plan is going to be more calorie dense and I'm going to stick to it. And that is the only way to tell if you're making progress. Cause I feel like a lot of times hard gainers have this excuse of, Oh, I have to eat more food. So they eat all types of different stuff and it's every day it's different. And it, you can't gauge how, what your progress is if you're eating a different thing every single day. Right. So even if you're a hard gainer, set up your diet and stick to it. Even if it includes a homemade burger with homemade fries or, if it includes pasta, meat sauce, or whatever calorie dense food you've injected in there, make sure it stays that way every day. So you know where to take things out and put things into your diet to make sure you keep growing or losing fat if you need to later on. Um, so that's my best advice for um, fast people with fast metabolism. If you guys have it tough. Uh, I almost feel like it's easier for people who are a little bit chubbier because you can kind of, it's easier to take food away than it is to force feed yourself. But that's where the calorie dense foods come into play. Do you superset neck and calves? Train them on separate days. I'm not sure if this is a joke, but I'm going to pass on that. Um, when are you officially going to launch the EU site? Uh, we will do that as soon as we are launched in the EU. We're still a ways away from the EU. We're focused on the UK first. Once we get launched in the UK, then we can focus on other markets, but we're focused on getting set up in the UK right now. Thoughts on deloads and how often you deload. Um, I don't really do a deload week. Um, it's not it's not specifically like that. I, I kind of, I've gotten to a point where I know my body. So I, I usually go through like two really heavy weeks. And the third week, I'll back off my training a little bit doesn't mean my intensity is any less. It just means I might use lighter weight and a little bit more reps the third week. Now, I know that because I'm a little bit older and I know if I just keep going hard every single week, I'm going to break. So I've recognized that my body can go really hard for two weeks. Then I need a little bit lighter week. Um, and then I go back to going heavy again. So, but to do a true deload where I'm kind of backing off everything, and just taking a break and then ramping things back up. I don't really recall the last time I've done that. So I, I've kind of, I kind of go from a hundred to 85 and then back to a hundred. And that's kind of where my training stays. Um, I think to do a true, true deload, you're at a hundred and you back off to like 60 for a week and then you're back up. And, and I don't remember the last time I really did that. I'm not saying it's not beneficial. I think if you want to do deloads, if you train hard every single week, I mean, I don't know, I would say eight weeks you know, six to eight weeks on a really hard program, then back off for a week and then get back at it. Uh, but I personally don't, don't do that. I, I, I go the middle route instead. What other, what other products can you see in the future for hostile? So as we discussed, the vitamin mineral line is very important to me. I think we're working on that next. Uh, a carb powder is very important to me as a bodybuilder. I always want to have a carb powder. I like to add carbs to my pre, my intro, my post. Um, so carb powder is one that we're working on. I, I'd like to come up with a lot of new, some more new flavors. I'm, I feel like, you know, we started with a couple flavors for each item. 
but I think, you know, a good refresh, you know, coming up with some new flavors for each product that we have. And then the ascent, the basics line is actually important to me as well, because I feel like some people want to add, you know, if we do a basics line, I'll have caffeine, beta alanine, creatine, these kind of things. So some people want to add a little bit of caffeine to their hostility. They can do that or add it. Maybe they love bloodshot and they want to add a caffeine tab to that. That's also a possibility, or maybe somebody's really heavy on creatine and, you know, three grams in hostility is not enough. So they're like, you know what, I want to have eight grams. So I'll add a scoop of creatine. So all those things are, are a possibility with the basics line. So I like that too. Um, eventually I'd like to get into a high stim pre because we have two pre-workouts right now, but I've never been a really big stim junkie. So both pre-workouts aren't very high in stim. So that's something I want to do. But that's not for me as much as it is for you guys. I know some people like that really stimmed out feeling. So uh, we, we would like to do that down the road as well. There's so many, there's, there's so many things. It's just, it's all going to take time, but there's so many things down the road. Is there such a two thing as too big? No, no, there isn't. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'll say this. I think as long as you feel good and as long as you like the way you look, then there's no such thing as too big. If you're talking about the stage, if your proportions are good, then there's no such thing as too big. I mean, look at Rami, right? Rami is... Big Rami is 280, 290 pounds on stage, and he's absolutely enormous. His proportions are still good. He's got, you know, a great, his waist is small in comparison to how big he is. Um, his proportions of his muscle all kind of fit together. His legs are a little bit bigger than everything else, but I think your legs being a little bit bigger is a good thing. So he kind of proves that you can't really be too big because he has never he's never lost because he was too big. The only reason he's ever lost is because he wasn't as sharp as they wanted to see him. So once he was able to finally nail that conditioning, he was rewarded for the size he was. And if you, you know, also you look back in history, the biggest guy has always won. Like Ronnie Coleman, biggest guy, Dorian Yates, biggest guy at his time. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, biggest, biggest, biggest guy, guy in his day. Lee Haney, biggest guy in his day. And I know that some people can say, well, you know, Jean-Pierre Fuchs or Nasser, they were bigger than Dorian or Marcus Rule was bigger than Ronnie or whatever, whatever name you want to throw out. Always remember, I'm saying it with proportion. The biggest guy with the best proportions always wins. And I mean, that's the way it's been in history. I mean, Sergio Oliva, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, all the greatest body, all the greatest Mr. Olympias. I mean, it has happened where the biggest guy hasn't won. I mean, Dexter wasn't the biggest guy, and he won the Olympia. But when all things are equal, proportions being good, conditioning being nailed, the guy with the most muscle is going to win. Dexter beat Jay because Jay was off, not because Dexter was had a better physique. Jay was off in 2008, so Dexter capitalized on it. Um. And, you know, going down the line all the way, for the most part, the biggest guys win. So I don't know. I mean, in, in daily life, you can be as big as you want. It's your life. You can be as big as, you know, you feel good being. On stage, history has dictated that when the biggest guy has good proportions and he's in great condition, the biggest guy wins. So it is a bodybuilding contest at the end of the day. 
Uh, what age is late to start a career in bodybuilding? Okay, well, I'm going to put this two ways. The positive thing to say is it's never too late. The, the truth is there is a time frame where it becomes not very realistic. Uh, so I started at 20 and I felt like that was late because a lot of my peers started when they were like 14, right? So, but I don't, I'm not going to say 20 is too late. It was just something I felt was too late because so many people had started when they were younger that I knew. If you go to 25, if you're good, if you have great genetics and you're 25, then it's not a big deal either. You turn pro by the time you're 30, 32, you know, and really start making an impact. You have a good eight years. The thing is this, I feel like the ceiling for bodybuilding, and I know there's exceptions like Dexter Jackson and some other people, Sean Roden, but I feel like for the most part, the genetic or the age limit for bodybuilding is 40 years old. It seems to be the time where most guys start to see the pains and the, the injuries and the, the muscle doesn't look the same anymore and things like that. And I can say that from my own experience. So 40 years old seems to be the mark. So if we take the mark at the end as being 40, that means you don't want to try and start turning pro when you're 35. Cause then by the time you actually turn pro, you're 37, 38, what do you really have left? You have a couple of years to try and make money. Um, and the other thing too, is you have to decide when you're, when you're trying to say how late is too late, you, I need you to decide, are you asking me because you want to do it as a hobby? Or are you asking me because you want to do it as a job? Because if you're asking me, when is it too late to get, have a career in bodybuilding? I have another career and I want to do it as for fun. It's never too late. If you're saying I want it to be my only career, and this is a thing that I want to make money at, and I don't want to do anything else, then we can go back to the timeline and say, okay, if 40 is your deadline to retire, I think if you want to make a living in the, in the sport, you want to be a pro by at least 35, right? I mean, you can make money and not be a pro, but I'm saying, if you're saying I want to be a pro bodybuilder and that's what I want to do, and that's how I want to make money, you need to, I think you need to be a pro by at least 35, just to give yourself five years of like time frame to make money because you're going to have to retire around 40, 42, somewhere in there. You're not going to, very, very, very few people are ever going to do what Dexter did and, and compete till they're 50. So ideally, if, if a friend came to me and he was like 27 and he said, hey, you know, I want to be, I want to be a pro bodybuilder. And let's say he, he had the genetics for it. I'd say, cool. You know, I think it's a good idea, man. I think, I think if you get started now, you probably turn pro in three, four, five years and you have a good, you know, decade or a little less to make money. I think if somebody came to me and they were 35 and they said, I think I want to be a pro bodybuilder. I'd be like, it might not be the best use of your time at 35, man. Uh, so, you know, that there's so many different factors that would, that might like, I have so many questions back to the person to be able to give them a proper answer, but just off the top of my head, that would, that's kind of how I, I think about it. It's, it's not an, it's a young man's game for sure. Like, Ideally for myself, when I was 27, I said, cause I started 20 and I turned pro at 27. And I said, if I don't turn pro this year, I'm not doing this again. Cause I knew I wanted to have a job. Like I wanted to start make money by the time I was 30. So I'm like, if I don't get it this time, I'm just going to move on and, and try and get myself into another career so I can start making money by the time I'm 30 years old. 
And uh, luckily I got my pro card that year and the rest is history, but that's kind of how I think about it myself. Um, should I cut out THC close to a show? I heard I can hold the water. I know Ian says he uses it every day, but does he cut it out? Uh, I don't know. It's something you should probably ask Ian. I don't smoke weed, so I don't know. I don't know how it affects the body. I do know that when it comes to showtime, I cut out everything that is affecting me. So yeah, if you think it affects the way you look at all, I mean, you should know while you're prepping, right? You should know when you smoke, oh, I look this way the next day, or I look this way a couple hours after or whatever. If it's affecting the way you look, then dump it, right? But if it's not, then it doesn't matter what Ian says or what I say or what anybody says. If it, if you smoke in the next day or the next hour, or whenever you look at yourself, you still look awesome, then I wouldn't worry about it. Do you think there's a detriment to too much activity where it impedes muscle growth, assuming the calorie surplus is equivalent 8K steps a day versus 13K steps? I do actually, I don't, I don't want to say steps though. Like I don't think somebody walking around an office building is going to like really affect uh, the way you're growing as long as you're getting enough food. But I have had clients in the past where like, you know, they'd be eating like five, 6,000 calories a day, but and they were training, but then they would go play like uh, house league soccer or like they would play hockey with their pickup hockey with their friends a couple times a week at an ice rink or basketball in some like house league. And I'm like, look, man, you know, you can't be out skating around a rink three times a week. And because the thing is this, you can only eat so much food, right? So if I have you eating the max amount of food and you're not putting on weight, but you're also going to an ice rink three times a week and playing hockey, it's going to be hard for you to add mass, man. Like the whole thing of eating and sitting your ass on the couch, it works. Like, I'm sorry to tell you, but like, I'm not saying everybody should be a couch potato, but if you're a hard gainer, and I, I preface this with if you're a hard gainer, because if you put on weight really easily, then yeah, it might not matter. It might not matter for you to go to the rink and, and get some exercise in and whatever. But if you're, if your focus is to be a professional bodybuilder, you don't want to waste any energy on anything else. This is, I want to be a pro bodybuilder. I want the food I eat to go to repairing my muscle that I trained the night before. So when you're asking me this question, we have to establish first, is your sole purpose for training to put on as much muscle as possible? Or is your sole purpose for training just to look good? If your purpose for training is just to look good, then yeah, go play hockey, go play soccer, take a million steps at work. It doesn't matter, right? If your sole purpose is to gain as much muscle as possible and get the best legs you can get and the best look the best you possibly can and be a pro bodybuilder, then be a pro bodybuilder and act like a pro bodybuilder. And I would never go train legs and then like the next day or that night go run around a soccer field kicking a ball and all that I, I wouldn't do that because I'm like this has got to be detrimental to the workout I just did and and gaining more muscle more mass no matter how much you eat it, it just it won't keep up like I think you need to rest to grow that's part of bodybuilding is rest is a major component so uh, you need to establish what your main focus is uh, before we kind of, we ask that before we can answer that question hundred percent, hundred percent, honestly. Um, your thoughts on hostile sleep aid and single ingredient supplement line. It's all coming. We kind of discussed that the sleep aid is part, actually the sleep aid is part of the, uh, 
uh, essentials line. So we're working on that with our uh, vitamin mineral. Um, do you prefer front load or rapid back load on peak week? Thanks, Oz. Um, actually, I prefer no load, to be honest with you. Um, the best, and I, I've actually, from doing podcasts with all the guys, I've realized that the best, um, the best looks on stage come from being ready early and then slowly eating up to the show. So not really a load, like a traditional carb load is, okay, depleted, and then I carb load, and then I go on stage or reverse, you know, whatever. The best thing is I'm eating, you know, two, 300 grams of carbs a day because I've, I've, I was ready early. So I'm still eating two or 300 grams a day. I still feel pretty full every day. And the week of the show, I might've added 50 or hundred grams. So now I'm doing 350, 400. It's not really a load. You're kind of just, just kind of walking in with a small elevation to me. And to most of the people I've spoken to, that is the absolute best way to get on stage. None of this like deplete and jump and all, because you have to nail it so perfectly that a lot of times guys miss and you end up watery on stage or you end up flat on stage or, you know, it doesn't, the best way is to be ready, you know, three or four weeks out and then start slowly increasing your food from there so that you're actually eating more going into the show and you just kind of walk on. And, you know, me and Nick Walker talked about that. That's what happened to me when I won my shows. Um, I think Ian said something about that for the, for the New York, because Tampa, they tried to load and not load. And, um, and I think for New York, it was more of a gradual, just eat my food and walk on stage. And um, the more people I talk to, the more I realize that is actually the best way to look your absolute best. Uh, may I say that I love the Q and A is back. Have listened to the old ones like 10 times over and over big base of my own meal plan is based on your answers to people's questions. Oh, I thought there was a question there. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate that. Uh, blast and cruise or blast and come off different for goals. Uh, I'm not going to answer uh, gear questions on the hostile channel guys. So we'll save that for a podcast with the guys. Um, any plans on releasing hostile subs to a store and in Canada? Yes, it's on the it's on the list. It's just a little bit hard. To my Canadian fans, I, I have to apologize to you guys all the time, right? Because I'm Canadian and a lot of you are upset that we didn't launch here first. But my fan base is 80% American. And we had to give the company the best opportunity to succeed uh, because it's a, such a saturated market. So we had to launch in the US, which has been a good strategy for us so far. Um, Canada is definitely on the list. It's somewhere we need to launch either right after the UK or after Australia, but they're the, the deciding factor is really the government. There's a lot more stuff that goes into launching Canada. Like you have to get uh, health Canada numbers and you have to have different labeling because it's, it's French and English on the label. And it's just, just a lot more hoops to jump through. So we're coming. It's just all in due time. Uh, can bloodshot be used as an intra along with silo nine? If I'm already taking hostility, I love the pumps from bloodshot, but some days I need the caffeine or can I do a hundred, 200 milligram tablet of caffeine along with bloodshot? Uh, my opinion is not to use uh, bloodshot as your intra. It's definitely a pre-workout. I have actually many times just dropped a uh, 200 milligram cap tap, uh, capsule. I'll just kind of break it open and drop 200 milligrams of caffeine into that. And it actually is perfect. 
to be honest with you, it's one of the reasons why I wanted the basics or the the basics line is to have that caffeine that you could add to Bloodshot, um, and make it, you know, a pump product that has a little bit of stim. Um, so yeah, I don't think that's a problem at all. But I I, I don't think I would use Bloodshot as an as an intra workout because, you know, you're not going to get the full benefit of it if you finish it throughout the whole workout, right? It's something you want to finish before you get to the gym, you know, 15 to 20 minutes before and let that really get in your system so you can really feel the pumps from it. How do you fix muscle imbalances on big areas like shoulders or legs? Uh, Unilateral movements. So look, we all have imbalances. I've had them for 20 years. Nothing I've done is be able to fix it, right? Like my left side of my body is all bigger than the right side of my body. And I do a lot of unilateral movements. I do a lot of focus, you know, focus on the smaller side, try and get it to grow. I think it's just something that we all have. Most of the time, you're the only one that can see it. Um, I bet you not a lot of people can tell that I have one side that's bigger than another. No one's ever said it to me, but I can tell, right? And usually we're we're the ones that are hardest on ourselves. So we can see when it's like something is half an inch bigger than the other side or whatever. Um, but I wouldn't be too concerned if it's just such a small difference that only you can see it. And if it's a bigger difference then yeah, I would do a lot of unilateral movements, just start doing a lot of dumbbell stuff, one arm at a time, one leg at a time, and really try and focus on the side, give the side that's not growing a little bit more attention. Um, what are your go-to condiments? I'm getting tired of mustard and hot sauce and could use some new ideas. Well, if you're getting tired of your food, dude, you're probably not cut out for bodybuilding. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you, but I've been eating the same Frank's Red Hot for 20 years. Uh, I started eating Frank's Red Hot the first year I started bodybuilding. I just put it on my ground beef and rice yesterday. So I don't, I, I'm not one of these, listen, there's different, there's different types of bodybuilders, right? Like there's guys that will go scour the grocery store for every different crazy condiment they can find that has low calories and they'll have a different one for each day. There's some bodybuilders that don't use condiments at all. You know, like James, James doesn't use any condiments at all. And there's some bodybuilders like me who find a couple that they like, and those are the ones they kind of stick with. So for me, ketchup, Frank's red hot, uh, low calorie barbecue sauce, mustard. I just cycle through them. When I get sick of one, I'll just, have start eating a little bit more of another but if you if like i'm sorry i don't have a great answer for you but i'm sure if you go to the grocery store and start looking at the back of labels you can find some low calorie stuff that you might like i know a lot of people like the walden farm stuff you can try that too but um yeah i'm not i'm kind of a creature of habit so i just stick to those four or five uh condiments that i like do you guys use massage guns if yes what for and how um, I, I see some people using massage guns before their workouts. I'm not a big, big fan of that. I'd rather do a little bit of foam rolling before my workout, uh, or just ride a bike or something, or do some type of mobility work for my shoulders to get myself ready to train. Um, my preference for the massage gun is actually after. So when I get home, you know, I've had a meal and I'm relaxing. If I want to loosen up the muscle, I just trained, you know, I like maybe I did legs and my, and my quads feel really tight. I'll hit them with a the massage gun or, uh, same thing, chest, shoulders, whatever muscle you trained, it feels really tight. You want to loosen it up, hit it with a massage gun. It's a good way to, um, to kind of get your body to relax and start the recovery process. But I don't, um, yeah, some people use them before. It's just, it's not my thing really. So 
Uh, is hit training good for bodybuilding? Um, yeah, I mean, Dory Nates did it, right? So, oh, are you talking high intensity training or um, cardio? But you're saying training. So I'm thinking, yeah, like Dorian, that was Dorian's style of training for a long time. So it works. I don't know um, if it's going to work for everybody. It's uh, one, can your body hold hold up to it? Because it's going to be a lot of heavy training and not everybody's body's meant for that. Two, do you have the focus to really get the most out of your body? Because somebody like JP, for example, the way he trains, it takes a lot of focus and it takes a lot of effort to get every, every last rep out of your body and know where your failure points are. Not a lot of people can do that. So, um, I don't know if it's good for everybody. It is good for bodybuilding if you can implement it properly, but I feel like the average person can't really do it the way it needs to be done properly. So I definitely wouldn't say it's good for a beginner maybe somebody who's an intermediate or advanced lifter. Uh, it's something they could start doing when they know what their body can really do. How do you space out your fats in all your meals? If you're eating six meals, uh, if I'm eating six meals, my fats are going to get ramped up through the day. So I probably have very little fat in my first meal. Maybe I have two whole eggs. So there's about 10 grams of fat there. And then as I get through the day, I'm going to increase my fats. Usually my pre-workout meals, because I usually have two or three pre-workout meals are very low in fat. Um, my post-workout meal is probably also very low in fat. Might have a little bit if I have ground beef or steak or something like that. My last two meals of the day are usually higher in fat, especially the last meal of the day. So it, it's kind of a curved, uh, if you look at it on a chart, it would be a curved uh, graph. Um I don't want a lot of fats before I train because it's going to slow me down. It's going to make me feel bloated. I don't want a lot of fats after I train. So I want those carbs that I'm eating to get shuttled into my system. Um, after that though, I want to reduce my carbs a little bit. So when I reduce my carbs a little bit, meals five and six, I'm probably going to increase my fats. Uh, any tips for someone coming from a high level sport that is transitioning into purely bodybuilding strength type of training? Uh, I don't really have any tips because I'm not sure what you're looking for. I mean, I don't think it would be any different for somebody coming from a high-level sport than it would be for someone not. Uh, you're going to come into the sport. You're going to, you know, the, the only benefit you're going to have is you know what it takes to do, you know what it takes discipline-wise to reach a high level. So you're going to just have to implement those things into your bodybuilding program. But I mean, as far as the actual program itself, it's not going to be any different. Uh, for an athlete that's coming from a high level sport or somebody who's starting bodybuilding is bodybuilding. It just, the nice thing is you'll be able to use a lot of those disciplines from the other sport. You'll be able to use them in the bodybuilding world. Um, when is hostile dropping a carb powder again, guys in due time, what would cause rear delt tricep pain when doing pull downs. Uh, I don't know. It's a good idea to see a therapist. If you're doing pull downs and you're doing, getting rear delt tricep pain, I don't know. You might have an impingement, you might have a small tear. Um, there could be a host of things. It could be a small tear in your delt, could be a small, a small tear in your, um, in your, your tricep insertion. It could be a, a, a host of things, but I would definitely just see a therapist. People will send me messages all the time. and like, well, I have a pain here and I have a pain there. 
And I would love to be able to answer them guys, but I always don't like to, I, I don't like to play doctor because it's not really beneficial for anybody. I think the best thing for you to do is see somebody, get it diagnosed properly. My diagnosis is not going to mean shit and neither is anybody else's that says it to you online. Somebody needs to get in there and feel around and make you do some exercises to let you, to show them what is actually, and then they can tell you what is actually wrong. I don't think um, writing your favorite pro or anybody like it doesn't, it's just not the right way to do it. You have to go get assessed properly from a doctor or professional. Uh, do you rotate hostility and bloodshot daily, weekly by feel? Uh, yeah, I do actually days where I feel a little bit like sluggish. I'll take some hostility days where I feel good. And I don't need to like get the wake up from it. I'll take bloodshot. So that's kind of how I work them. But you know, both give me a great pump. So I'm not, you know, some people are like, well, I want to, I want to get a great pump. So I got to take bloodshot hostility has a ton of citrulline in it. It has the NO3 T. I mean, you have everything you need to have a great pump. So hostility will give you that pump too. So I, I don't want people to feel like they have to take bloodshot to get the pump. Hostility will give you the pump you need. It's just if you're pump focused mainly, that's when you would need the bloodshot. How can training and nutrition be during Ramadan to keep gains for the month of fasting? It's going to be tough, man. I honestly, I think anybody who tells you you can keep all your gains is kind of lying to you. The only way I see being able to keep your gains is if you sleep through the day. If you sleep from sunrise to sunset and then stay up the other hours of the day and go train in the middle of the night, then I think you're actually better off than if you have to fast all day long. Cause now you're awake, you're not eating. And this is, listen, this is not talking about somebody who just wants to look good at the beach. These Q and A's are geared to people who are talking to me as a, a professional bodybuilder. I'm giving you advice as a professional bodybuilder. I'm telling you what I, I noticed in my own life when I was trying to build maximum amounts of muscle, not eating from sunrise to sunset is not beneficial uh, for helping you put on mass. And there's not really any way around it. You're going to notice a difference in your physique after one month of fasting. Even if you eat 5,000 calories in the three meals, like, you know, some people will say, well, if you break your fast at sunset, then you have a few hours to eat before you go to bed. So get in like three really, really heavy meals and then go to bed and then wake up just before sunrise and make sure you eat one really, really big meal and you'll be fine. I don't, I've never witnessed that. And I've done that. I did when I used to, fa I don't fast anymore, but when I used to fast, I did that and it didn't work. And not eating from sunrise to sunset every day for 30 days is going to cause some type of muscle loss. But if your religion is that important to you, then that's just something you're going to have to sacrifice for that month. And like I said, do the best you can. The best you can is if sunset is seven o'clock or eight o'clock or whatever it is at this, this year, you have, you know, if you stay up till like say 11 o'clock at night from eight to 11, now you have, you can get two really big meals in maybe three. If you stay up a little later, you know, if you stay up till midnight, you can eat at 8, 10, 12, get in three really, really big meals, get up at 6 a.m. before sunrise or whatever the time is, have another really big meal. And then if you can sleep through some of the day, do that. And if you can't, you're just going to have to, you know, get used to the fact. As far as training goes, personally, I would probably train at night between like the 8 and 10 o'clock meal. 
but if you can't do that, then I would train first thing in the morning after your sunrise meal. I definitely want some nutrients in my body uh, around the time of training. I don't want to go in the middle of the day when I'm fasting and go train for two hours when I haven't had anything to eat the three or four hours before, and I'm not going to eat for three hours, three or four hours after. My training is going to be at some point closer to whenever I'm eating, ideally between the eight and 10 o'clock meal. That way I have some food before and after. Uh, so I hope that helps, that helps, man. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to do in bodybuilding because bodybuilding is to me, bodybuilding is predicated on being able to get that food in every couple hours. Got to get that food in. And when I don't, and when clients don't, I see a, a direct change in their physique. So I don't believe people who say it's okay to fast, nothing will happen. It just doesn't seem to be the case. Would you recommend hyperextensions for strengthening, strengthening lower back? I always seem to get crazy lower back pumps when doing them to the point it's literally impossible for me to continue further. Yes, I would. I think they're great for strengthening your lower back. I think deadlifts off the ground are better for strengthening your lower back, but I wouldn't neglect hyperextensions. How often and what duration do you feel is best to practice posing going into a show? Um, I would definitely practice your posing all throughout your prep. I think I would really ramp things up at the six-week mark. So at six weeks out, I would start practicing your posing every day. Uh, not for a ton of time, just 10 minutes. Um, you know, 10 minutes a day is a good, is a good time to get in some shots and really start to feel your body and start to feel what it's going to take to hold on to poses. I think at the three week mark, I would definitely increase that maybe 20 minutes a day. And I think it's good for a bunch of reasons. One, it's, it's muscle control. It's going to help you get more conditioned. It's going to give a different look to your muscle and you're going to be the guy on stage that looks the most composed and your presentation will be the best because you've really, really practiced it. The guys who don't practice, you can see they're shaky on stage. They're tired. They're bending over, trying to catch their breath. They're not able to hold the pose the whole time. The judge calls it. They have to hold it for a second and they let it go. I think Rami was a great example of that at the Olympia. You could see that he had been practicing his posing. He held the poses for the longest. He looked the most composed. Branch Warren was always a great one for that. He used to practice every day for like the last month. So, yeah, I think it's a good idea um, to start with 10 minutes, bump to 20, start six weeks out, at three weeks out, bump to 20, do it all the way into the show. Uh, when are you the most uncomfortable, peak off-season or one week before a show? Um, I think one week before a show is the most stressful time. So I wouldn't say it's uncomfortable. It's just, I think it's there's a climax there, right? Cause you're building, building this pressure. And for me, the last week was always the, the height of the pressure. Um, so one week before the show is a high pressure game, but not uncomfortable. I feel great. I look great. I look great when I wear my clothes. Like I feel like uber confident at that point. So it's not an uncomfortable feeling. It's just a high stress feeling because I know show days are on the corner. Um, peak off season, very uncomfortable. It's very tough to do anything. You're breathing heavy all the time. Um, it's hard to, you opt for wearing sandals instead of shoes. So you don't have to put on your shoes. My wife used to put on, man, there was periods of time at peak and peak Fuad mode when my wife was putting my socks on for me. Maybe not every day, but there would be days where I'd be like, oh, she's in the bedroom. Maybe she'll help me. 
<laughs> so um, peak off season really sucks. And, and this is why when I see people that are like, oh, you can stay lean and you can get huge. And I'm like, I don't think so, man. I don't think so. And, and my version of lean and your version of lean might be two different things. My version of lean is like show lean, right? And I see guys staying in that like single digit body fat and trying to get big. And I'm like, I don't see it. You know, like even, even James right now, for example, and I keep using James's example because he's so diligent. Even James right now, you know, weighs around 300 pounds. He's going to go on stage at 260. So there's, there's the fat has to be gained. Doesn't mean you have to eat shit, but you're going to have a surplus where you put on a lot of weight if you want to really gain mass. And, um, that is a really, really uncomfortable feeling because it's not only that you don't maybe don't look great. It's also that you're like, you're out there pounding the food, man. You're pounding that food back every single day, meal after meal, you eat one. By the time you're done that one, by the time your body just starts to digest it, you start to feel normal. It's time to eat another one. And they're not small meals, man. You're eating like a, it's, it's, it's a full-time job and it's extremely uncomfortable and it's, everything you imagine it would be just picture like a, a 24 seven. My friends used to get annoyed with me because I used to complain about my stomach bothering me so much picture like a 24 seven, like Thanksgiving dinner feeling all the time. And it's not just your stomach because you're so anabolic, like everything's so full, like your chest is really full. Your shoulders are really full. Your arms are really full. Everything's like, everything's kind of like stretched out and you never feel like, I don't know how to explain it properly, but like you never feel decompressed just like, 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 ah, oh, I can breathe and I'm, I'm flexible and I can move around and you just don't, you don't have any of that. You just, it's, everything's very stiff and blown out. And, um, the only, like I say, the only time that feels good is the one hour in the gym. When you go to the gym for that one hour a day and you're filled the fuck out from eating and you've been eating like a horse, that one hour in the gym is the best hour you're ever going to get, right? Because everything feels good. You're strong. Your joints feel good. The muscles, the pump is stupid because you're so full. Um, so we, you live in the 23, 23 hours of hell for one hour of heaven. <laughs> it's pretty much, is pretty much what it is, is, is peak off season is 23 hours of hell and and one hour of heaven in the gym and that's the best way to best way i can put it um why do people always say squats are bad for knees uh i think because people kind of squat wrong and they they eventually end up with knee problems so squats have been synonymous with bad knees but i don't think there's anything bad about um i don't think there's anything actually bad about squatting for your knees i also think Look, let's be completely honest. Your knees are going to end up being sore if you squat three, four, 500 pounds. And maybe not the first day, maybe the second day, maybe not the first year. But after five, six, 10 years, you're going to have sore knees. Like I have sore knees. I don't have any knee problems. My knees function perfectly fine, but they get sore. But anytime you're squatting four or 500 pounds for a decade or more, that's going to happen. So, it's not really about it being bad for your knees. It's just like any other tendon or joint in your body is it's going to get worn out after extended use and pounding for 
a decade or more. You know what I mean? People who end up with knee problems after like the first year, they're probably not squatting properly. You know, they're going up on their toes or their stance is too narrow or, you know, a whole host of different things. But if you're getting knee problems after six months, something wrong, something's wrong with your form. If you're getting sore knees and it's from a decade of training, that's to be expected. Um, best exercises for lower lat development. I would say reverse grip barbell rows, even though it's not a hundred percent natural feel, uh, the Dorian Yates reverse grip barbell row is one of my favorites. Uh, I think, let me think. I love, I mean, dumbbell rows, if they're done properly pulled into the hip can be very good for that. I think you know, one of the main things I do for lower lat development is it's pulling into my lower stomach. So a lot of people, when they do a rowing movement, will pull where they're strongest. And where you're strongest is usually midway in your body, right? So you pull here. And that's usually because your rear delt's helping, your teres are helping, your rhomboids are helping, and your arm is helping. So all of these things are moving, so it's easy to pull the weight, right? If you lower your hand to like your belly button area or your love handle area and then pull, you know, if your if your shoulder's not lifted, right? If you drop your shoulder and pull, you'll notice that it's a lot harder. You can't use the same weight, right? If you try and do a dumbbell row and pull into your uh and pull into your lower abdomen or your love handle area versus pulling into your pec, say you'll notice it's a lot easier to pull into your pec because all those other muscle groups are helping maximally. They're all going to be involved in the lower, in the lower row as well, but to a lesser, a lesser degree. So one of the main things I tell people is if you're trying to grow your lower lats or focus more on your lower lats, pull lower on the bar, right? Like if you, if you're rowing, row lower into your stomach, if you're holding a bar, hold it lower. So you're pulling into your stomach. Where you pull the bar is where you're going to grow the most, right? So if you pull up here, you're going to develop the top of your back. If you pull down low, you're going to get more of your lower back, more of your lower lats, more of that area. So uh, that's really my best advice for lower lat development is pull the bar, pull the track, wherever it's tracking, that's where it's going to grow. Um as far as exercises go, like I said, reverse grip barbell row is probably my favorite for uh, lower lat growth. Um, thoughts on SARMs? Have you used any of them? I don't really want to cover cover any drug talk on this channel, but uh, SARMs are kind of a gray area, so I'll touch on that a bit. I don't use SARMs. I never have used SARMs. I'm not a big fan of SARMs. I'm always weary of things that promise the world with no side effects. So that alone makes me... Look, I'm, and it's not even just in, in bodybuilding terms, anything in life, any, any, any aspect of my life, if somebody promises me the world and I don't have to pay anything for it, that's a problem. And I generally am very skeptical of those type of things. And SARMs, I feel like promise a lot. And they're like, Hey, you won't get any side effects, but it'll do all this stuff. And I'm like, Mm, I don't know. It seems like it should cost a lot more money if it's going to do all of these things and it's not going to cause me any side effects. And it also feels like a lot more people would be using them if they did all the things they said they did. Uh, I tried them myself in a down period. I didn't really notice much. Um, 
not just not my thing. Not my thing. I'm not. I'm not saying it can't work for anybody. I know some people who use them. Uh, it's just. It's just not my thing. Uh, during testing and formulation, did you try using bloodshot mixed with intra after already using hostility as a pre? Because uh, damn, it's great. Uh, no, I didn't because bloodshot is a pre-workout and I want the bloodshot ingredients in my system beforehand. I don't want them in my system halfway through my workout. It kind of makes sense. So it might be helping you. I'm not saying it's not. I, I, I think that's great. But for me, I, I want, if I take bloodshot, I want all the ingredients kind of flowing through my body before I get to the gym. Um, I also don't really mix. I never mix bloodshot and hostility unless I do like half a scoop of each or half a serving of each. Uh, there's just too many nitrates uh, in both formulas to stack together and it be safe. So if I'm going to stack them together, I'll do half a scoop of hostility and one scoop of, of uh, bloodshot, which is a half a serving of each. Um, what's your current split and days off? Uh, Monday chest and shoulders, Tuesday, hamstrings, and a little bit of quad. Um, Wednesday is back. Thursday is a day off. I'm uh, sorry. Wednesday's back in calves. Thursday's a day off. Uh, Friday's arms and Saturday is, uh, legs, quads with a little bit of hamstring and Sunday's off. So Thursday and Sunday off. If growing is the goal, how long would you take to get back to pre-contest weight after a show? This is different for everybody, man. Look, the common, the common theme now, or the common message now is reverse diet out of a show and grow slowly back to your weight. That's honestly never, never, ever what I did. This may be, maybe one area where I could say I did it wrong, but my coaches weren't advising it at the time. And I think I did okay growing in the off season. So my, my philosophy was get back to your weight as soon as you can. So once I was done a show, I would just start eating. And my body would soak up all that shit. And after a month, I was already like back up to, you know, if I compete at 250, I was back up to like 285. And then I would slow the food down. Like if I started to get too fat, I would slow the food down and go from 280 to 300. And that might take me another, another month. But the first month I had put on 30 pounds. I was already, I would already go from 250 to 280. And I would still look pretty good, obviously holding some body fat, but I still felt like I looked fine. And then from 280 to 300, might take me another month, maybe two months. Um, so I would never get extremely fat, but I wanted to get back to that 280 number quick. I don't want to, I'm not trying to waste time, right? I need, I want to get the calories in. I, you guys know me. I'm a bulking guy. I want to get the calories in. I want to get bulking. I want to get all as much calories in as I can. And I'm going from 250 to 280 as fast as I can. As long as I'm not fat, like you have to understand when you're 250 pounds, 10 pounds of it is water, 10 pounds of it is glycogen, 10 pounds of it is fat, right? It's not 30 pounds of fat. So it's going to be different if you're 200 pounds. You just, just go, don't go from 200 pounds to 250 and be like, oh, okay, that's what Fuad said. You got to still look good relatively, right? You're going to gain some fat, but like you have to still look good if you're going to do what I was saying. So from 250 to 280, I still felt like I looked okay. I still had abs. I wasn't like, didn't have huge love handles. Like I was all right. 
And that's when I would slow things down because I knew after 280, if I kept eating the way I was eating, going up from 280, I was going to start to get fat. So once I started seeing like my lines disappear, I would slow the food down. And then I would take it easy from then on adding food in slowly and letting my body grow without getting just, you know, extremely fat. So I guess the message I'm trying to give you post post show is eat what you have to eat to put your weight back on all the way up until you start feeling like I'm too fat. And that's going to be relative also, because some people, when they put on five pounds after a show, they're like, Oh, I look like shit all of a sudden. And some people put on 50 after a show and they look like fat slobs, but they're like, I still look great. You're going to have to be your own gauge, man. Like for me, when I put on those 30 pounds, I felt like I still looked good. I was, yes, I was holding a little bit of fat, but I still looked all right. That's when I started to pull the, the food back. Cause I'm like, okay, from this point on, I'm going to start to get sloppy. I don't think anybody should ever be sloppy in the off season. If you've lost all the lines on your physique, you are sloppy and you're now bulking way too hard. So if you can go from, let's say you diet, let's say you did a show and you were 200 pounds. If you can go from 200 pounds to 220 and still look like you have all your lines, then just get there, get there as fast as you can. And then from there, I would be like, okay, now I'm going to reduce the cows a bit and let my body grow into 230, 240 slowly with a little bit, little bit less food intake. Um, let's see here. I have a physical job, a wife and two kids is bodybuilding life doable. Uh, yeah, you'd have to quit your job eventually. Um, I mean, it's such a tough question. It's, it's like, I don't know. What is your job? How physical is it? I mean, does your wife care if you go to work? Uh, does your wife care if you go to work and then go to the gym after and spend all your time cooking and eating? Do you have the money you need to buy all the food and have your wife cook it for you or cook it? Your, do you have the time to cook it yourself? Do you have, um, you know, are your kids going to be annoyed that you're not spending time with them because you're at the gym? And there's so many, like I could ask you a thousand questions in return, right? My only advice to the question you gave me based on the information I have is this. I have a physical job, a wife, and two kids. Is bodybuilding life doable? Yes. If you can check all the other boxes I mentioned, then yes, it doesn't matter. If your kids don't care that you're going to be preoccupied with your physique, if your wife doesn't care, if you have the money, uh, if your job is not so physical that it's hurting your gains, um, if you have the genetics and you're not just wasting everybody's time for no reason, then yeah, it's doable. But like I said, there's all these other factors that you have to, you have to worry about because, you know, with a wife and kids and I'm not sure how old you are and, you know, I don't know how much you need your job. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a calculation, right? It's not like bodybuilding is not easy. I know it looks easy. I know like, oh, those guys just lift weights and they eat food and they make money. First of all, not a lot of people make money. People make enough money. Maybe they make enough money to survive. But unless you're hustling and you're doing things and you're doing like, I got a podcast, I got a supplement company, I got a, and when I was bodybuilding, I would do extra stuff. I would do YouTube videos and I would do sell clothing or whatever it was. Like I always had my fingers in other coaching. I always had my fingers in other things to make money. So bodybuilding is not easy to make money. It's a, it's a hustle and it's a lot of work. And if I had a wife and kids, I would be very wary 
of putting them in jeopardy of trying to chase a bodybuilding dream if I didn't really have something set out already. Like I have friends who left their jobs for the bodybuilding world, but it's because they kind of were set up already. And I'll give you an example. So I'm not going to mention any names, but I know a very well-known coach who had a very good job and has a wife and kids. And he was like, I want to be part of this industry. So actually you can just say, you know, even John Meadows, I didn't even think of John. John is the best example. John used to work at a bank, wife, two kids working at a bank. He's like, you know what? I don't want to work at the bank anymore. I want to put all my eggs in this bodybuilding thing. But John had a lot of clientele built up already as a coach. So he had this big income coming in from bodybuilding already. So when he left the bank, his family wasn't in jeopardy. He had a whole system set up already. And that's the only time I would advise somebody to leave their job for bodybuilding if they have a family, especially. You have to have things set up so that when you leave, it doesn't affect your life. John was still be able to was still able to pay all his bills, all his things, do all his work, and, and it not affect anything because he was already doing it. Um, so yeah, I mean, all these all these questions have to be answered before uh, you can ask me if it's doable or not doable. It really depends on your family and your time and what you're capable of doing. Um, what would be the minimum amount of protein meat per meal? My uh, recommendation for anybody trying to gain mass is 1.5 grams per pound of lean body mass. Um, I feel like maintenance is one gram per pound. Now, some of that's going to be dependent on the rest of your diet. Some people say, well, if you're eating a ton of carbs and you don't need 1.5 grams, or if you have a lot of fats, if you're on keto, all there's a million different ways to do it. So I'm just telling you what I like. I don't eat a shit, to, shit ton of carbs. You know, I get in for my body, I get in three or 400 grams a day, which is not a lot for somebody who weighs 300 pounds or close to it. Uh, and I don't eat a ton of fat. So I get in a gram and a half per pound, 1.2, you know, right now I'm a little bit lower. I'm probably at 1.2 or one, but when I was building muscle at my, at my peak, man, I was between 1.5 and two. 1.5 to two grams per pound of lean body mass is what I was eating on a daily basis when I was really putting on as much muscle as I could. So that's my recommendation. Um, maintenance purposes, one to 1.5. Less than one, I don't know if it's going to help in the bodybuilding world myself. Any advice for college football player that wants to bodybuild after graduation? Uh, yeah, just start, man. There's no, there's a ton of advice. Get on a proper eating plan, get on a proper program and then be as consistent as possible. I mean, it's a very broad question, right? So hard to answer. Um, if the genetic elite require less gear, would the genetic proletariat require more? Um, no, I don't think it works that way because that means you'd be assuming that gear can make up for genetics and it can't. It's just a, it's just a shitty, it's just one of those things <laughs> you can't, you can't, um, yeah, it's tough. I, I would love to be able to say that. I would love to be able to say that if your genetics aren't great, that you can take more gear and make up for it. And it's just not the case. There's a long list of guys that some of them, you know, and are very popular 
that have taken all the gear in the world and just not made it. They just couldn't turn pro. They couldn't get their physique right. And it's because the genetics aren't there. Like, I mean, I, so many people come to mind right now. There's so many people that are very popular. You know them from YouTube, you know them from, and they've taken everything, right? And they've made it very public. Oh, I took all these things. I took this and this amount and this and that amount. And they're amounts like that would, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't give them to you if I was trying to kill you. That's how much, like, that's how far off the amounts are. And still didn't, couldn't turn pro, couldn't make it, couldn't get there. Right. And unfortunately that's not how it works, right? You either have the genetics, you can, you can build the muscle or you can't build the muscle. And if you try and do it with drugs and it does work, your physique just won't look right. Like there are other people that have built a pro bodybuilding size physique with tons of drugs, but just didn't look right. Right. It didn't, it, it threw off some other, some other part of their body or the muscle muscle didn't look right or, and they just couldn't turn pro because they were standing next to guys that had better genetics. So their physique flowed at that size. It looked like it belonged at 220, 240, 250 pounds. Whereas this other person who did it with drugs, no, something's not right. I can't put my finger on it, but something's not right. It doesn't flow right. The muscle looks beat up. Something looks wrong. He looks too stringy. Something, something's not there. And we're not going to let him win because he doesn't deserve to. So no. So to answer your question, you know, long story short, there has to be a genetic component. And it, it blows my mind when I hear people say, uh, Branch Warren didn't have the genetics and Dorian Yates didn't have the genetics. And they did it with hard work, but bullshit. I'll call bullshit every time. Branch Warren, if you look at him when he was like 19, already had an amazing physique. He beat Jay Cutler the first time they competed. That's how good his physique was. Amazing, massive chest, huge legs, kind of tiny waist. He had it all built right there already at like 20 years old. And um, if you look back at pictures of Dorian Yates, like when he's partying with his buddies, he's like got a six pack and shit. And he's like still got the cutout of his pecs and everything. You don't build the amount of muscle that Branch Warren built or Dorian Yates built without awesome genetics did they have pretty physiques in that regard genetically yeah they had to work harder to build muscle in certain places to correct things that maybe weren't given give god-given gifts to them but to say they have bad genetics is a false it's a misnomer because you can't be you can't get to where they you can't reach the levels they reached without great genetics and no amount of drugs would make up for that. Um, can you advise how many shirts and hoodies are planned? To... No, I can't. <laughs> can you advise how many shirts, hoodies are planned this year and coming months? No, I, I, those things are hard to plan because the hoodies, honestly, I just sometimes think of them off the top of my head. The shirts sometimes come up from something on the podcast. So you know, we're always trying to do new stuff, but I can't tell you exactly what we're doing with clothing. Um, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. What would be the best choice for equipment for starting out since there's no places nearby closest than an hour and a half away? I work 10 hours a day. Um, okay. Well, 
you know, this is going to, maybe this is going to sound silly to you guys, but I forget what they're called. It's not pre-core. I can't remember the name right now, so I apologize. But if you've ever seen the, the kind of, I think they're yellow. I think they're, they're brand name. The brand color is like yellow or gold. They're um, kind of like a multi-station hammer strength. I'm sure somebody in the comment section will correct me uh, and, and find the name, but they're like a multi uh, stationed hammer strength machine it has everything you can do. You can do, you adjust the bench, you can do bench press, you adjust it again, you can do shoulders. They have a preacher curl on them. They have a little squat pad. Um, if you adjust, you adjust the one side, you can do lat pull downs. So it's like a fully adjustable one station. And I don't, I think they're like, for the amount of exercises you can do on it, it's not expensive because I think they're like five to seven grand, which is a lot of money. But if you tried to buy all of those pieces individually, you'd spend a lot more than five to seven grand. So that's why I say it's cheap because you can do a full workout on that one thing. So that's the one part that's the advantage to it. The second part that's the advantage to it is like this office right here. I don't know. It's like, I don't know, 10 feet by 20 feet. I don't know what the size of this room is, but you could literally put it right in the middle of this room and this could be my gym because it's, it fits in like a little, it's just one piece that you put, you could put in the center of your room somewhere and that could be your little gym area. Uh, so size wise, I think it's a good, good investment. It could go in a garage or something really easily. Uh, size wise is a good investment. It covers all your bases, all your exercises. Uh, and I think for the price, for the amount of exercises you can do, it's the cheapest one. And I'm really sorry. I can't remember the name. I know, I think it's power tech power tech. Is that it? I think the Kai green and Kai green endorses them. I think I want to say it's power tech, but I could be wrong. So somebody, if you guys know, correct me in the comments section. Uh, okay. Advantages and disadvantages of using carb powder as opposed to real food pre and post training belt squat. Oh, there's two questions here. So first I'll cover the carb powder. Uh, the absorbability of your carb is going to matter more than anything when you're training. Okay. Like there are a million different carb powders, let alone real food, but let's just take real food versus any carb powder. The, uh, the digestibility and absorbability of the carb is going to be way slower. So if you try and eat like, let's try, let's, let's say you're going to like eat a uh, hundred grams or 50 grams of carbs from muffins. A lot of people are not going to be able to eat a muffin right before the workout or during the workout and not feel it in their gut when they're training. It's going to be like, oh, I ate a muffin like while I'm training and I, my stomach is bloated now or my pump's not as good because... I'm trying to digest my food. The carb powder is going to absorb much, much quicker, much, much more quickly. Now, the other thing is in the carb powder world, now you have a whole bunch of different carb powders, right? You have dextrose, you have maltodextrin, you have uh, carbolin, you have waxy maize. And at the very, very top, you have highly branched cyclic dextrin. Now, for the average person, you're probably not going to care if you're using dextrose corn sugar, which is just corn sugar. It's very cheap. Um, you might care if you, if you're trying to bulk and you, you try and take 50 grams of it, you're going to be like, why does my stomach feel fucked up when I'm trying to work out? I, I really care. Like this stuff matters to me a lot. I don't want to drink anything when I'm training. That's going to affect my stomach. I don't want to feel bloated. I don't want to feel like I have to slow down. I don't want to feel nauseous. I don't want to feel anything. I want to feel like I'm drinking flavored water 
and it's not affecting me. It's actually, and I want to make sure it's, I feel better using it. The highly branched cyclic dextrin is the highest rate of absorbability into your body. Like it passes through the, the, uh, it passes through the intestinal wall the most quickly of all the carb powders. So when our carb powder comes out, it will be just branched cyclic dextrin. It won't be mixed with anything. It won't be mixed with any dextrose. It won't be mixed with anything. It'll just be highly branched cyclic dextrin because I told them that's what I want. I just want that. I want something that's going to absorb as fast as possible. It's not going to cause me any gut distress at all, but it's going to make my muscle feel a thousand times better while I'm training. So that is the main reason why you use a carb powder over eating real food when uh, training, because the absorbability rate is not going to be the same. You want the fastest absorbability rate. So it does not affect your training. Um, second question is belt squat. Is it beneficial for as helping as a low back squat? Yes. Belt squats are great. Just be careful. Cause I've heard a lot of people have knee injuries with belt squats. So just be careful with it, but it's a great exercise. Uh, favorite homemade meal your mom made as a kid. Damn. I think, you know, it's funny. I always love pasta. My mom used to make, it's a, it's a, I don't know if it's an Arab dish or just something my mom made, but it was pasta with yogurt. So I know it sounds crazy, but my mom would make a pasta with like a, uh, and it was a warm dish. It wasn't, I mean, you could eat it cold too, but actually I think it tasted better cold. Now that I think about it, I think I'm going to go to my mom's house and see her. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Um, so it was a yogurt, plain yogurt. Imagine like, imagine like Greek yogurt. That's probably closest to what my mom used to make. So imagine like a Greek yogurt with pasta and then she would mix it up with like uh, mint, salt, pepper, a little bit of garlic. And then she would roast pine nuts and put the pine nuts on top. And it was just, it was so good. So that was one of my favorite meals growing up. Uh, and then I think it's translated into my adult years because now my favorite meal is that same pasta but with tomato sauce and, and meat sauce so i've always just been a pasta crazy it's one of my favorite meals so yeah uh, i mean there's a bunch of other stuff my mom used to make too but that's the first thing that came to mind so i hear a lot of bodybuilders eat a lot of fish in contest prep and even in the off season as well if fish is a little out of your budget what would you consider to be the best alternative um listen fish isn't magic Fish is, the reason fish is so beneficial, I mean, if we're talking about salmon, it's because the high, high fat content, which is very good fats in salmon. But if we're talking about just white fish like haddock or, you know, orange roughy or whatever it is, the main reason we're eating it is because it digests really quickly and it's pure, a pure source of protein and very little fat. You can kind of get that other places. Like turkey is very low in fat. It's not that much higher than fish chicken is a little higher than turkey it's not that you're talking about some of the fish is like one or two grams of fat turkey's like four grams of fat it's not like that different that it's like you can't get shredded by eating chicken breast or you can't get shredded by eating turkey or you you know i mean tuna is cheap you can eat tuna tuna is zero fat like it's, it's the same thing as eating white fish it's not any different you just get just get tuna um but then you got to be worried about the, the mercury content so i think if you're just focused on getting lean and you're eating fish because it's low in fat, you can get lean without eating fish. And actually there's some very cheap sources of fish too. If you eat uh, Pollock, I, when I was younger coming up, I hated fish. 
But my coach was like, look, you got to eat fish. This is part of your diet, whatever. I'm like, okay, I'm going to eat fish. I used to get big bags of Pollock, uh, which is a white fish. And there was like two bucks a pound because it was, I, I don't know if it's a shit fish or I don't know very much about fish. Like, I don't know about the different, the different types of fish and how, what's great and what's not, but I'm assuming for two bucks a pound, it was, it's not a very, you know, it's pretty basic. It's not, it's not an amazing fish to eat because it didn't taste that great, but it had like one gram of fat in, in four ounces. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to eat. So there is cheap white fish. You don't have to eat orange because orange roughy on the other side is like 16 bucks a pound. So you don't have to eat orange roughy. You can eat, you know, Pollock or you can eat sole, which is also flounder, which is not that expensive either. So there are cheap alternatives to what you're looking for. Uh, Ken, if it fits your macros work for professional bodybuilding to a certain extent, uh, I think if it fits your macros done properly can work to a certain extent, but I think after you get to like the four week mark, I want to say four weeks because it's a pretty crucial period. I think when you get to the four week mark, you really need to have the same diet every day because you need to know if I remove this thing, what does my body look like? If I add this thing, what does my body look like? And if you're eating something different every single day, then you don't know exactly how your body's going to look. And uh, even Lane Norton, who's like the, if it fits your macros guy told me that was true. Like he agreed with me that like from the four week mark, when you're talking about professional bodybuilding and really, really knowing what your body looks like, you need to know exactly what you ate the day before, because every little thing will make a difference in how you look. So can you get shredded using if it fits your macros? Yes. Should you use it for a bodybuilding show up until the last three or four weeks? I would say yes. Um, okay guys, there's still a ton here and we've gone well over an hour. So I'm going to, I'm going to maybe do a part two or maybe we'll split this into two parts and then I'll do some more. Uh, and we'll just do a separate video altogether. So maybe we'll split this into two parts and, uh, then we'll do another video and I'll get to more of these questions, but I really appreciate you guys doing, uh, participating again. I hope you guys, I hope this gave you guys some type of, uh, benefit in your own training. And I appreciate appreciate you guys following Hostile and supporting the brand always. Thank you very much. And until next time, guys, train hard and sacrifice without regret.